Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to The Human Source. This is a podcast for HR professionals, business owners and leaders who are interested in what's going on in the world of people and culture. My name's Steph Coward and I'm joined by my absolutely fabulous colleague, Steph Kelly. Hey Steph. Hi guys, thank you very much for listening. I'm excited to be taking part in this podcast as this topic is very close to my heart. I think it might be also helpful for our listeners maybe to get a bit of background on on who we both are. Appreciate this sounds like the Steph show, but it might be useful to know um, what we both do. So uh, over to you, Steph. Uh, I'm Steph Kelly and I'm Chief People Officer here at Iris Software. I've been with Iris for four years now and responsible for all our HR operations globally. What about you, Steph? Yeah, I'm the MD for our HCM business within Iris. So today, we're going to be tackling the thorny issue of staff retention. We're going to have a look at what it is that motivates workers. And I know Steph knows a huge amount about this. So Steph, what's your thoughts on some of the things that we could do better? Um, Genuinely, I do wake up almost every day and uh, the top of my mind is always about how we're going to get amazing staff here at Iris and once we've got these amazing staff, how we're going to keep them, how we're going to progress them, how we're going to make sure that they're very, very happy working at Iris. So we do have some suggestions today, uh, tried and tested and given the current economic climate, small businesses may breathe a sigh of relief to hear that money is not the only thing that motivates staff to join to stay and to do the best work for their employer. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I know how difficult it can be in the current environment when there's a price war. So one of the things that I've talked about in a previous podcast is one of the ways that we can try and differentiate ourselves from the competition is get our employees to feel connected and part of our organisation. I've heard a few times uh, recently that people are now looking for experience rather than a financial reward to help motivate them. What do you think, Steph? Yeah, amazing question, Steph. How do we get people to feel part of our business? I think for me, uh, the thing, if I had to like define my job role, yes, I'm chief people officer, but my job role really is about creating an amazing culture. So a business that people want to join, want to work really hard for, want to stay at. So that's what uh, keeps me awake at night. So... To answer your question, that's it. We have to create a fantastic culture. And at the heart of fantastic culture is really some simple things. One of those is caring deeply about your staff and having a genuine interest in them and making sure that you're doing things that will make them happy. What do you think about that? I totally agree with you. I was having a chat not so long ago to a a new group of uh, people who joined the organisation through our graduate scheme. And I was really interested to have a chat with them to say, you know, as new entrants into the workforce, what is it that you look for? You know, what is it when you when you join a company like Iris that you're, you're trying to see? And I was really interested, perhaps nearly all of them said they just wanted to feel valued. They wanted to feel respected, valued, and that they wanted to feel that they could see a way for them to progress, not just their career, but actually grow themselves as individuals. And I thought it was really fascinating because they didn't actually mention anything financial in terms of the things that they felt they needed. So most of it was around, is this an environment where I can continue to grow personally? So in terms of my own soft skills, my own networks, but all you know, technical um, 
capabilities? Is it a place where I feel these are people that I'm, I want to spend time with? I think, you know, we all know how much time we spend with people at work. If we added it up, it's probably more than the own members of our family. So I think for people nowadays, particularly new talent entering, entering the workforce, it really is about the ability, you know, that's feeling part of something. Um, feeling that you want to socialise with people, that when you're in the office or you're in the working environment, these are people you enjoy spending time with. I don't know what you think about that. Completely agree, Steph, completely agree. So once, for me, once you've got the foundation of a fantastic culture and you're caring about people, you're creating what you've just talked about, this you know, amazing family environment. And I often look back at some of the kind of meta surveys about what it is that engages people. And you've uh, hit the nail on the head because time and time again, a couple of things come up. One, uh, by Gallup, there's a massive correlation about having a best friend at work. If you've got a best friend at work you're more likely to be motivated and engaged and the other thing that comes up year after year and is also statistically difficult word to say uh, proven to be stable across lots of different countries is the chance to learn and grow so people do want as you were saying progression at work and of course we've got a kind of distribution of people who are quite happy just to learn little bits every day and feel that they're keeping their skills uh, up to date with super ambitious people that want to you know succeed that and um, be the next ceo of the organization and, and are really uh, concerned about how they're going to go as fast as possible up the organization so it's also a little bit about um recognizing those things but also recognizing within those things people want to do things a little bit differently do you know what you've hit upon something there that i've recognized within my own teams um it's i think one of the most important things for me is that you've got that variety and flexibility for people i know you and i have recently been talking about career pathways and our career framework here within iris and i think one of the most important things that we've we've looked at is how do we offer a, a pathway for everyone. So how do we offer a pathway for those people who do wish to become more senior in the organisation, who want to take on leadership responsibilities? But at the same time, how do we find an equal and uh, still as exciting a pathway for those people who rather become more of a subject matter expert, so want to develop their skills in their area of expertise? And I think in a matrix organisation as we have today, one of the great things I think is the ability to offer both of those so that people who are progressing as leaders are, are the same in terms of value to the organisation as those people progressing in terms of their, their subject matter expertise. I think one of the tough things though, isn't it, is to be able to find a way to bring those two things together. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a word that I've been hearing um, more recently, so uh, career framework is now turning into a career lattice. Uh, so people, especially post-pandemic, are thinking about what they want to do, how they want to live their lives. You know, their whole world was turned upside down and the kind of things that were considered impossible before, like working from home or flexible working or working from Cornwall, if you uh, like us, uh, working in Heathrow approach here at the moment. So lots and lots of people are considering what they want to do differently going forward. So to your point, this kind of lattice career framework where people can do different jobs at different times in their careers, I think that's also going to be really, really important. Another thing actually on the back of that that uh, I recently read an article about is we're in a time now where we've got a real multi-generational workforce. So we're probably at a time in history where you can have three generations of a family in work at the same time. And one of the things I'm always uh, con conscientious about is 
ensuring that the strategies that we have are appropriate for those younger, new entrants into the marketplace, but also for those people who either are moving through the middle of their career or perhaps who are more mature in their career. I think one of the challenges that we have in a business now is making sure that the way we motivate staff and the way we motivate people does address those different generations. Not sure what your thoughts are on how we go about that. Yeah, no, that's um, yeah, really, really interesting. For me, I am always looking at the research. You know, what does Gen Z want, Gen X, Gen Alpha? Uh, and I look at those and I'm really interested in those. But I'm also really interested in not making generalizations. Uh, so last night I saw a TV program, don't know if you've seen it, George Clark's Flipping Fast. Yes. And it was about uh, these teams of people that had to take these houses and they had a year to turn the houses over, do them up and make the most profit. And the person that won uh, was a six-year-old lady. And uh, what uh, stuck in my head was, I'm only offered jobs 60 plus uh, for people who are on the scrap heap. And I don't feel like I'm on the scrap heap. And that really stuck with me all evening. So for me to answer your question, I'm always thinking that, you know, even though you might be 60 or 20 or 30 or 40 or anything in between, you might have different aspirations than what this generational study says that generally people have in that group. So what I like doing here at Iris is, is having a massive level playing field. I like ensuring that, you know, anyone, you know, levelling up is something the government talks about. I'm really keen about that as well. But for me, it's about equality of opportunity and allowing anyone, regardless of their background, to access any of our programmes at IRIS and make the best use of talent wherever that talent is. It really plays into the need to be a diverse organisation, doesn't it? So I think diversity, not just in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity, but diversity from a, an age, background, culture um, and personality perspectives I think different 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 people within your organization bring so many different things and having the ability to motivate people and have a motive have a have a benefits and rewards capability that is flexible enough to have enough within it to address the needs of those different generations for me I think it really I think really also helps you differentiate yourself as a as a business what one thing I'm always uh, conscious of is the um, there's always lots of talk um, in, in the media about the fact that uh, people entering into the workforce now and actually people perhaps in their 30s go into the workforce with an idea that they will have maybe several different careers and um, certainly that they will have had you know three four uh, work for three or four different companies perhaps within the first ten their first 10 years at work and I know one thing for us is we're really keen to show people that that you can have that breadth of career you can have that diversity but perhaps here within one organization so I, I know that one of the things we've also started to look at a lot is kind of internal mobility so once we've we've attracted people into our organization is that we don't try and restrict them within a certain pathway as we talked about before but we also give them the opportunity to you know potentially move between two quite different pathways so I know uh, from my previous um, role here within Iris you know we had people who came from customer services who moved to professional services we even had people from professional services move into product and engineering and I think we found that was a really great way to get a much richer expertise within the business but also encourage people to see that they could progress their career they could do something different they could achieve uh, a different objectives but within the same business and I think here in a company like Iris, it's probably 
something that we're able to offer. And I often think if I if we were a smaller business, you know, what could we do maybe to encourage that? And I don't know what your thoughts are on having kind of opportunities for work shadowing and placements and, you know, cross-skilling across different parts of the business. Yeah, absolutely. All those things are really important, really up for secondments, work shadowing. Uh, for me, when you were talking then, I was thinking of the kind of one challenge that I see or I come across in all of these things, which is sometimes people's confidence. So again, I spend a lot of time thinking about how we can help people with their confidence because it's not really Iris holding people back from being the next CEO. Uh, you know, some people, obviously some people don't want to be the next CEO, but also people sometimes hold themselves back. So a lot of what we do here at Iris is uh, try and have some inspirational role models, try and have some um, uh, external speakers, internal speakers, people talking about how they have stopped limiting themselves and um, preventing themselves from progressing uh, up across the organisation or just trying a different job. I don't know if you've got any top tips on building confidence yeah. at work. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think one of the things I'd say is, uh, and I heard, I heard this actually, um, from someone who was doing a talk about it was it was actually related to to women at work but i think it apply i don't think it just applies to women i i think it applies to to all all people in the workforce and it was about um being good at networking and it was about saying that um as well as well as kind of doing your day-to-day -day job one really important thing is if you want to be able to be more versatile and be more mobile is just to get to know lots of different people to start interacting with people that you know you may not normally need to interact with but kind of going out of your way to understand perhaps what other people do how other people behave and what what what, what sort of things they what sort of things that interest them and how they got into their careers and and how how they're doing what they're doing so i think you know that if 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 that's one way of doing it. However, I do think that it's really important as, as leaders and managers, though, that we are competent at being able to spot and see the skills of people in our organisation and not pigeonhole people, not, not a kind of... Sometimes, you know, you hear that the people that shout the loudest are those that get what they want, and I think that, you know, is sometimes true. And perhaps as leaders, we need to be looking at the people who are not shouting, the people who are being quietly getting on with what they've been asked to do and understand and say, well, hang on a minute. You know, what are the what are the core competences of that individual and how do those competencies perhaps then could be transferred into another role um, or uh, into uh, another position? Um, or even where do we think someone has got competencies that where we think that perhaps um, could be developed on? So looking and identifying potential. And I think for me, uh, all great leaders are able to spot and identify potential in people and then be able to draw out that potential to help that person really become the best that they can be. I think you pick on a really uh, important topic there, which is the relationship, isn't it, between the manager and the employee? Yeah. And knowing that that has a massive correlation with how happy someone is at work and how long they stay with you. So I think that's a really well-made point. Um, at Iris, what we do here to... Um, we measure what matters, right? So one of the things that we do measure every single month is how engaged our employees are. And interestingly, the tool that we use gives feedback directly back to the manager in an anonymous fashion. So a manager needs to have, I think it's three or four, or four employees, and then that feedback is anonymized and given to the manager. And this tool has allowed managers to see how absolutely pivotal they are in helping their employees succeed, helping their employees be happy. And it is something that I credit um, 
uh, we, we got Great Place to Work Award here at IRIS and I really don't think we could have got that Great Place to Work Award if we weren't measuring this relationship between a manager and an employee and helping that manager be a better manager and an employee be a better employee. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to the comment we discussed at the start of our podcast, which is around people feeling valued. Um, from my perspective, it's important to give people the opportunity to, to be heard. But I think as well as being heard, what's important is that actions are taken and things do change. Uh, once somebody's taken the time to then uh, tell us or give us feedback and gift us that information, I think as leaders it's, it's imperative then that we actually then do something about it and that, that our employees can see that there's been a change. Absolutely. In terms of um, pay, let's talk about pay. How, how yes. important would you say pay is in attracting people and motivating them while they're at work? What would you say I, about that? I always, tell, I always talk to people about pay as being table stakes. So for me, um, I think people need to have a certain amount of financial reward. You know, we've all got our mortgages to pay, our, our cars to run, our holidays to go on. So I think, you know, there needs to be a, a level of reward that is considered to be fair. And quite often I hear that word when I talk to people about pay and reward. I hear the word fair. I hear that people want to be rewarded for, for the role that they're doing. So I think that pay is a part of the package. So certainly you need those table stakes. But then if you're trying to differentiate yourself from everyone else there that is also at the table, then pay isn't uh, the way to go about it. I always think that um, when pay is used as a way to keep people in an organisation. So I often hear the word retention associated to a payment. Um, you may hear it as golden handcuffs, but for me it's, it's, it's almost like you're trying to bribe someone to stay within your organisation. And for me, I'd much rather someone stays within the organisation because they feel that they are fairly remunerated, but they feel all the other great things of being valued, of being listened to, of having great opportunity to progress their career, of enjoying coming to work, of getting out, getting up and out in the morning and, and a smile on their face and wanting to come and liking that the company that they that they share when, the, when they're at work. So from my perspective, yeah, obviously I think, you know, the pay, our pay has to be within the right um, boundaries. So I know here, you know, we benchmark and look at ourselves across, against other similar similar companies so that people do feel that they are being fairly rewarded. But my, my view is, is that is just one part of, of, of the puzzle. And one thing that I've seen now uh, crop up, you know, a lot now is not just about benefits, you know, pension benefits, access to electric cars or uh, salary sacrifice schemes with medical benefits and uh, other types of cycle to work schemes. But I think now we're even going beyond that now. We're going beyond, and I, I go back to this concept of feeling and feeling like you belong and feeling valued. And some of the technologies that are out there now are actually looking at how employees can actually motivate each other. So uh, for those of you who are uh, uh, lovers of Strava, you guys will all know that on Strava um, you can give your, uh, your friends kudos points, you can give them a thumbs up for something that you think they've done particularly well. Nowadays, our technology can help us do that too. So different employees can give each other kudos, can give each other a high five, can give each other recognition for some of the great things that they've done. And those that recognition then also then translates into some kind of reward, you know, be that a, a meal out for two, a, an afternoon off, 
um, a trip out with your family, whatever it may be, then I think that's great as well because that is about peer um, reward rather than what we have mainly today, which is more, more, more of a reward, which is more of a top-down reward. Peer reward, I think, is, is, is probably equal, if not more important to people. Excellent. Yeah, totally agree. I think kind of 10, 15 years ago, what we were looking at was, I think you're completely right, you know, pay is a hygiene factor, yeah. table stakes, etc. And for me, what I've come across in my career is it's about um, fairness as well. So it's not actual pay. I used to work for the NHS and, you know, actual pay was much lower than yeah. it is in the tech sector. But as long as you felt that yeah. the relativity between you and other people and the amount of work you were doing was fair, you were completely fine with it because there were other reasons that you were coming to Absolutely. work every day. Um, in terms of benefits, uh, what I was about to say was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, the sexy thing was flexible benefits. And you had a pot of money that you could spend on, you know, all sorts of things. And again, that's now a little bit table stakes as well. So you do, you will always have a budget, maybe a small one, maybe a bit bigger one to spend on benefits. But the amount of flexibility that you can give to your staff to buy the benefits they want, that will really, really help. You know, we can see it here at Iris, you know, people who are, uh, you know, perhaps late 50s, putting much more money into their pension, whereas some of the people who are at the beginning of their career, other things are much more important for them, as well, uh, such as some of our kind of perks at work, those types of things where they can you know, have you know, amazing kind of discounts on, on all sorts of things, uh, nights out, etc. For me now, um, one of the most important things uh, is around social responsibility. Yeah and ESG, that is really, really important. You know, it's so, it's so important for us as a business because it's completely the right thing to do. But it's also really important for all the employees. And I read uh, a really great study which said that people would take a 10% pay cut to work for a company that they thought was giving back to the wider world around them. What do you think about that? I mean, wow, that is quite a statistic, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. And I think it's something that I think it's something that's been around for quite some time. I think it's something that, you know, lots of people have a conscience around around this and want to feel good about working for a business that has great sustainable credentials. Uh, and I think over time, as the opportunities for businesses to become more part of either their community, their local business environment um, or, or even where you know people feel that what they're doing is adding value somewhere so you just gave a great example of when people working in the NHS or if people uh, as teachers and you say to them you know why why are you doing that you know, quite often people will tell you it's a vocation it's something that they just feel passionate about and I think it's great now that in in the commercial sector I mean in the tech sector that is it a way that we can help people to gain to feel that I'm doing this because I really feel that I'm giving something back. So if you if you can offer those great credentials and opportunities for people, then you can feel a great value in what you do, and you can see how that value then uh, affects then every you know people's day to day lives. Absolutely. And, and what's your view on well-being? So this is a term that is used lots and lots at the moment. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think is the connection between well-being and motivation? It's a such a hot topic, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think well-being, 
it's, it's interesting. I, I think you've got to think of well-being in its broadest sense, and it will mean different things to different people. And for me, it really goes back to some of the things we've been talking about throughout the podcast about really connecting and understanding your employees. So different employees will have different needs around well-being, and there is no one size that fits all. So for me, I always feel that it's important when you connect and understand your your team, you are understanding and talking to them about uh, what motivates them and considering well-being as part of that because for some people you know working under pressure really motivates them that helps them get their the, their best you know their most creative at those points whereas for other people that that is really stressful and for some people that then means then they find issues and problems at work because they feel they feel under pressure so I think for me well-being is one of those things that is very uh, unique and personal to uh, to everybody in your organization and uh, my tips would be get get to know your staff get to know who they are get to know their personalities and then the well-being element of that will flow and it will become obvious then what kind of well-being activities or initiatives would suit you know that particular person at Iris, we focus on three areas, physical well-being, mental well-being, and also financial well-being, which in this uh, cost of living crisis is, is more and more important to more people. Um, kind of bringing this full circle now, um, we've talked about a couple of things. So we've talked about having a really engaging culture. We've talked about having a genuinely caring environment, and, and you were very eloquent about having a place that was a fun place to work. Um, we didn't quite touch on setting clear objectives and letting people get on with their job, but I think that is something that's really important in an engaging environment and also the chance to learn and grow and progress. Is there anything else that I've forgotten in summary? No, I think there's only one thing that I would add, and that is uh, you know, treating people like grown-ups. So as people are in the, in the world of work, this is not school. You know, we are, everybody comes to work, you know, our professionals, and no matter what it is that, that they do. So I always think it's important to remember that and allow people to take uh, decisions, give people autonomy, um, allow people to take uh, risk-based decisions. And I think perhaps most importantly, when things don't always go right, people know that the, as you know, you've got their back and that this is a learning environment. So, so for me, I think I'd probably wrap up by saying that it's important that people have the freedom and the autonomy to be able to do that. And I think that's when you get the best out of people and that's when people feel most rewarded. Excellent. Thank you, Steph. Great to talk to you, Steph. Look forward to the next one. Absolutely, Steph. If you found this valuable, don't forget to subscribe and do follow us on socials.